I grew up in the church, and when I say that, um, like it's, it's almost literally true, from week, I don't know, one or two after my birth, uh, mom and dad took me to church. And I've been in church pretty much every Sunday since. Um, uh, through elementary school, uh, through junior high, high school. Um, and, and given that frequency of being a worshiper, coming with my family to uh, pursue Jesus, um, one of the things I came eventually to recognize was it was a little bit extraordinary. I could count, especially in those younger years, on one, maybe both hands, the number of times I heard a sermon about the Holy Spirit. And it, it seemed, eventually it seemed a little bit odd to me, but what I realized was that I think he was in a sense the missing person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, Perhaps we felt that he was too mysterious to really be able to talk about. Um, Old King James Version would refer to him as the Holy Ghost. That just kind of sounded spooky. Um, maybe, maybe some felt that he was, was too scary in the sense that uh, there were some who, who we, we thought at least had kind of taken it to extremes, like those charismaniacs over there. Nobody wants to be you know, kind of going over the edge like, like one of them. But the result was, we just didn't talk about God the Holy Spirit. Um, and notice that I'm referring to the Holy Spirit as him, not it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a force. Um, it, it, that, that's new age thinking. Uh, we want to kind of push that off to the side. The Holy Spirit is him. Uh, he is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, who's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And of course, the tragedy in what I just described as, as at least my experience of, uh, of my youth is that Jesus made a promise to his followers that the Holy Spirit would be our power for living and our power for ministry. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus' words speaking to his disciples after his resurrection, uh, just before his ascension back to the Father. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now let me ask you, if God the Holy Spirit is our power to accomplish God's work that he has given us to do, like, like if he is the, the component, if he is the one who is, is critical to our successful completion of our mission, like, like without understanding the receipt of the Holy Spirit, I am powerless, hadn't we, under, hadn't we better understand this a, a little better? Hadn't we better understand him? Jesus in his farewell address just before his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus promised his disciples that he would be leaving them, but he would not leave them alone. Let, let me read it for you. John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus' words to his disciples. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, 
You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So, so notice Jesus is promising here another counselor, a helper, a guide, depending on the translation you're using. The Greek word underneath all of our English translations is paraclete, paraclete. And it's a description, the description we see here is of another paraclete, another like the first helper, counselor, guide. The first one was Jesus, the other one, the one coming, the helper would be the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend the next few Sundays talking about the Holy Spirit. We've got some learning to do here. Who is he? Well, what does he do? Um, when the Bible uses language like be filled with the Spirit, what's it talking about? Uh, there are several places where the Scriptures speak about the gifts of the Spirit. Well, what are they? A- and, and what are they for and, and how would I access those gifts? So these are the kinds of things that we want to discuss over these next few Sundays. You see, the Holy Spirit didn't just show up at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And the Holy Spirit didn't just kind of show up in the New Testament um, by, the, by the words of Jesus, John 14, all of a sudden, poof, you know, he exists now and didn't before. God the Holy Spirit existed from the opening pages of Scripture throughout the entire Old Testament. In fact, in the first book of the Bible, in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, in the second verse, we see the Spirit of God present. Let me read it for you in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now the Hebrew people, as they read these passages of Scripture, the Hebrew people, the first people of God, they would not have thought of the Holy Spirit in the way that we, as New Testament followers of Jesus, have come to thought of, think of him. Uh, we're the new people of God. We've received further revelation, and God has brought greater clarification concerning his nature and his work. The Hebrew people would, would understand, as we understand, there is one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Jesus said the second greatest commandment is like unto it, love your neighbors yourself. But the point here is there is one God. And so spirit of God, in the Hebrew way of thinking, was was just another way of referring to God himself. In fact, it was a way of referring to God in his work on planet earth. When, When God shows up, when he's doing work, I mean, God is spirit, and so we can refer to the spirit of God. And, and, and persistent throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is, is shown, he would show up at particular times for particular tasks. Uh, and often, he would come upon particular people. He would fill them, he would come upon them for particular assignments that he would have for them. God would come near And he would equip one of his people, one of his followers, to do his work. 
So I want to examine a few of these passages of Scripture. We're going to go through a bunch of Scripture together here this morning as we review this. But, but Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. We hear about a guy named Bezalel. Then the, the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and, ex- and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. So what was going on here, God was giving instructions to Moses concerning the the creation of the Ark of the Covenant, which would represent God's presence among the people, and the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, which is where the people of God, the Hebrew people, would worship God for the next few centuries. All of this was put in the hands, entrusted into the hands of an artist. How about that? Put into the hands of an artist uh, who had been equipped, empowered by the Spirit of God for this work. So we've got an artist, carpenter, contractor who's going to coordinate all of this extraordinary work and he's doing it because the Spirit of God had come upon him with skill and wisdom and insight and ability in order to accomplish this extraordinary work. Bezalel, Exodus 31. Here's another example. Um, God coming upon Gideon for leadership. Bezalel for our, our craftsmanship, for artistic work, for, for leadership, for construction. Uh, Gideon for leadership. Judges chapter 6, verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him, Gideon, and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending, I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiazer came to him. Uh, so, so Gideon, the Holy Spirit coming upon him for, for leadership in a crisis moment for the people of, of God, when, when all of God's work was being threatened and God raised him up. Another example, the Holy Spirit came upon another Old Testament leader, a guy named Samson, with great strength, and again it was for military conquest, Judges 15, verse 14. As Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph, but the Spirit of the Lord came, upon, came powerfully upon Samson, And he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax. He'd been bound, he'd been captured. And they fell from his wrists. And then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed a thousand Philistines with it. Notice the word power in in these passages of Scripture. When God's work was was threatened, he, he gave power to counteract that. But he was it was power to accomplish. God's work, what God needed done in that moment. I'll give you one more example. The Holy Spirit came upon a member of the royal family named Isaiah for prophecy. Isaiah 61 verse 1, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. 
The Spirit of the Lord moving in power to accomplish his work. Now, Jesus will quote this passage of Scripture without the last line. The day of the Lord's favor, and he leaves out anger for judgment. I'll comment on that in just a moment. But the Spirit of the Lord here has come with power to accomplish the work of God in the life of Bezalel, in the life of Samson, in the life of, what was the other guy's name that we talked about? Who did he talk about? Good grief. Mine's going blank. Uh, Gideon. Gideon was the guy. I was like, how can I forget Gideon? He's, he's cool. Um, let, let me read another one for you here. Sorry. Um, throughout the, whole te- the Old Testament, God the Holy Spirit came upon particular people, particular times, for particular assignments. Uh, but as we move kind of through the pages of the Old Testament and, and we come to, to some of the prophets, in particular the latter prophets, the prophets that exist were closer to the, the time of the coming of Jesus, closer in the timeline to Jesus' coming, some of these prophets began to speak of what we re- begin to refer to as the promise of the Father. So, so the prophet Jeremiah, he, he said this, Jeremiah 31, verse 33, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And another of those prophets, the, the, God's prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26 declared this. He said, I will give you a new heart. God speaking through the prophet, remember. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Another of God's prophets, the prophet Joel he declared this, Joel 2, 28, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike. So this, was the, this is the promise of the Father, and the Hebrew people recognized it. They, they, they eagerly began to eagerly anticipate the fulfillment of that promise promise. When, Lord? When would this happen? I mean, up until this point in time in the Old Testament, he came on particular people at particular times for particular assignments, but this promise was that he would come upon all who call upon the name of the Lord, all who turned to the Lord for salvation, for rescue. When, Lord? And then we come to the New Testament Gospels. In the beginning of the New Testament, we discover that there is a fresh stirring of excitement. Something Something that had been building, something that the people had been waiting for, waiting, 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 and then something changed. The gospel writer, Dr. Luke, makes a particular point of this. God the Holy Spirit came, it seems, on everyone connected with the coming of Jesus. Uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, uh, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 12. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. He'd been in the Holy of Holies uh, performing the functions of the priest, a great honor for him, uh, and, and an angel appeared to him. Overwhelmed with fear when he saw the angel, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. 
He will prepare the people of the, for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Extraordinary power, extraordinary turning of people toward God is what was being prophesied here through Zechariah, Luke chapter 1. Just a few verses later, an angel appears to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. All around, all around the, 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 the coming of Jesus, uh, Mary's uh, cousin, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, verse 41, Luke chapter 1, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, John, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, again, down in verse 67 of chapter 1 of Luke, then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people, and it goes on from there. Eight days after the birth of Jesus, his mom and dad took him to the temple to be circumcised, and there was a guy there named Simeon. Listen to what Luke chapter 2 tells us about Simeon, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to, to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon goes on, if you read more of that account, uh, to, to prophesy further about Jesus. In fact, he, talks, he speaks about Jesus' death. How inappropriate is that, right? Sometimes the Holy Spirit just does some things that it just seems like it's inappropriate. I, to speak about the death of a child that is dedication at eight days of age. Uh, extraordinary things were going on around the coming of Jesus. And then we come to John the Baptist himself, just, just a chapter later, chapter, Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist, now a full-grown man, um, a prophet, uh, having gathered people who were following him, listening to his words. And he, he said this, John, uh, Luke 3, verse 16, I baptize you with water, John speaking to the crowd, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave. And untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Throughout the Old Testament, fire was often a picture of, of God's power at work. Jesus would baptize. He would immerse. He would plunge. He, 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 would, he would drench those who turned to him in the Holy Spirit, God's presence. And then Jesus himself received power through the Holy Spirit when John the Baptist was baptizing his cousin in the Jordan River. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus himself was equipped 
with power by the Holy Spirit. Here we see God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son all in one place. And we begin to understand that the Hebrew understanding of, of, of who God is and how he exists needed to, needed to be expanded a little bit. There is one God, and there are three manifestations of that one God. And Jesus, in his humanity, surrendered to the will of the Father by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit had come upon him, led, so, and, and so for instance, the Holy Spirit led him. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. So, uh, sorry, um, led him, uh, where am I? I'm down at chapter 4, verse 1. There we go. Um, oh, come on back to me here. Pardon me, get my notes in order here. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River uh, where he had been in the wilderness. So, so, so the, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Catch that. Verse 14, chapter 4. Uh, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Uh, reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. You jump down to verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. This might sound familiar. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will, will set, be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So, so remember, he's quoting prophet Isaiah. We read Isaiah a few minutes ago. And, and, and he's saying, look, the promise of the Father has come, um, but only the favor part of his coming, not the judgment part of his coming. You and I still live in the year of the Lord's favor. We still live in this time when, he, when, when judgment has been put off. It will come, but it's been put off in order that we would, would have window of opportunity to respond to God's favor. The promise of the Father had come. And then Jesus makes this incredible prediction. He says, look, and there is more. There's even more to come than this. Listen to John's account in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. On the, last, on the last and greatest day of the feast, the climax of the feast, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living waters... He was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. So, so Jesus, is, he's promised his disciples that, that more was yet to come. He was leaving them. He was returning to the Father, but he would not leave them alone. He would give them another counselor, another like the first, another helper, another fortifier to equip them Luke 24, Jesus told them they were to wait for this power, this equipping, this fortification to come upon them. Luke 24, verse 49, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as the Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, 
Once, when he was eating with them, this is before his ascension, after his, after his death, burial, and resurrection, before his ascension to the Father, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God had been at work through the Old Testament. The Spirit of God was there at particular, uh, on particular people at particular times for particular uh, places. Now, uh, increasingly, there was antici- this anticipation that the gift of the Father would come. And we've got the beginning of the Gospels then and, and this extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit around the coming of Jesus and Jesus himself then working in the power of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish the work of God, to have the power to accomplish the work of God. And then came that day of Pentecost and we look at the, the work of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There was this pent-up expectation. And it was finally fulfilled. I mean, it's like the cork finally flew off the champagne bottle. The promise of the Father was fulfilled. God, the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father was poured out by Jesus, and the church was born. The Holy Spirit came. And as we read the accounts, he was accomplishing particular things, even in that, even in that description of what took place on that, on that first day. For instance, he gave them an ability to communicate that, that transcended language barriers that might have otherwise impeded people's ability to hear the good news about Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, and when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? Uh, That's the first wonderful and critical question they ask uh, in that Peter will tell them uh, in response to what must we do, what they should do. What, but, but here, in verse 12, what, does it, what can this mean? They asked each other. God, God the Holy Spirit, in this outpouring and the coming and the fulfillment of the promise of the Father, has given the disciples an ability to communicate clearly. He's also given them an extraordinary boldness. You may recall, so this is Peter, he steps up to preach. You may recall Peter, so this is 50 days after the first Easter. This is Pentecost. 50 days after the first Easter uh, Easter weekend. Um, Two days before that, Peter was mm, not quite so bold. Okay, Um, That was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He and all the rest of the disciples went running 
Um, Peter plucked up the courage with John to kind of follow Jesus at a distance and, and go to the trial and watch from a distance. But, but then when a servant girl approaches him three different times, he denies him the final time. It's, it's, it's like, I never knew the man. Never met him, don't know him, don't want to have anything to do with him. Utterly denied Jesus. Here we are 52 days later. Something radical has changed. He has an extraordinary boldness. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 14. He shouted to the crowd. There are thousands gathered here at this point. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servant, servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. This was an extraordinary day. There was communication that was happening clearly. Uh, extraordinary courage was being given, great boldness to the apostles. And God the Holy Spirit, as promised, brought great power to his followers. Verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. I want, to, I want you to think about that for a moment. Back in John chapter 14, um, Jesus promised that because he was going to the Father, and because he would give his followers another advocate, another helper, another counselor, because he would do these things, his disciples would do even greater things than the works Jesus had been doing. And we say, well, how can that be possible? Well, here in, in one sermon, from one of Jesus' disciples, what resulted were that more people believed in Jesus than had, had believed in Jesus in the entire three and a half years of his ministry. And this is only just the beginning of the greater things, the greater works that God would do when he'd come in power by his spirit upon each and every one of those who would call upon the name of the Lord, those who would turn to the Father. This is just the beginning. The Holy Spirit is our power to accomplish God's work. He at work in us accomplishes what God intends to be done. There came a time in my life when I began to ask questions about this, I began to, to probe about the, the missing sort of person of the Trinity as I'd experienced it. Tell me more about who God the Holy Spirit is. And as I began to ply into this, God increasingly was changing me. You see, it's possible, it's possible to think about church as like a club. It's a membership that I take out. Maybe we do good works in this club. It's possible to think about the church as a family. 
Um, to have deep, warm, meaning, meaningful relationships. We connect with other people at a very heart level that, that is satisfying. It could be a club, it could be family. We can think about, we can think about membership in the church as adherence to certain ideas, agreement to certain concepts. Maybe it's moral instruction, maybe it's a philosophy of life that we, we come to recognize. But, but if this is all that you've done, like if this is just a membership, if it's just family, if it's, if it's just ideas, then it's, it's, it's like you've moved into a house with no lights on, no heat, uh, no power. You see, disciples are those, Jesus said, who are branches in the vine. We abide in the vine, and the life of the vine flows up through us, and it results in fruitfulness. It results in kingdom fruitfulness. It results in character fruitfulness as he changes us. The lifeblood of Jesus flowing through us. So let me ask very pointedly, is there fruit in your life? You see, it wasn't until the promise of the Father had been fulfilled that all the pieces began to finally fall into place. And, and if you were a Hebrew person who had this more limited understanding, you began to realize God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is at work, and they, they, there are different ways of describing one God, different ways one God manifests himself, and it, it kind of blows our mind to be able to understand it. But God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Spirit of God, has come to indwell, to take up residence in all who will turn to him. Each and every one of his followers, the new people of God, the church. And like a a brand new house with all the wiring installed and all the light bulbs in place, the final piece to connecting the power happened that first Pentecost Sunday 2,000 years ago when Jesus flipped the breaker, and there was power in the house. Is God's power evident in you? We're going to take the next few Sundays to explore this. So so don't despair if you say, no, I, I really don't believe it is. On the other hand, why wait? Like, There are really only two reasons why God's power would not be present and at work in your life. I'm going to invite Colleen and the team to come and to prepare to lead us in worship and response. As they do, let me just encourage you to download the sermon notes from our website if you've not already done so, because there's some questions present on page two of that. And those questions uh, are, are designed to lead you. And I, wanna, I want you to do something about this this, this week. I want to invite you to come back. Those notes, I've given you a ton of passages of Scripture. You can go back and review those passages of Scripture and just ask some, intrap- some, some questions of yourself. Ask some questions as you, as you meet with your family and, and open review these passages of Scripture together. As you meet with your life group and review these passages of Scripture, my request is that you would do this, that, that throughout the course of this week, time and again, you would say, Lord Jesus, just make this a prayer, Lord Jesus, 
Is your power truly at work in me? And invite him to begin to, to, to stir you. There are only two reasons why his power would not be present in you. Um, the first is that you've not repented of your sin and turned to God. You've not become a follower of Jesus, and Jesus clearly said uh, that uh, the world does not know him, does not know the Holy Spirit. Uh, we could fix that this morning, if you're willing. Uh, the, the second reason that God's power would not be present in you is that you haven't asked. Uh, you, you, you've maybe been focused on the things of this world, though you're following Jesus, but, but there's, a, there's a component of your life where he is an addendum to your life. He's an add-on to your life rather than central to your life. Well, we can begin to make some changes in that today as well. You could continue those changes this week as you would just ply into some of these questions around it. If you've not come to faith in Jesus, a prayer like this one, just bow with me if you would now. Lord Jesus, I am turning from my sin towards you. Please forgive me of my sin. Come and fill me with the power to follow you. For some of you, you prayed that prayer years ago, and this second prayer is the one that's going to be most helpful to you. And we would pray like this, Lord Jesus, come and fill me with the Spirit of the living God. I think he's calling right now. Come and fill me with the Spirit of the living God and enliven me with the power necessary to follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to explore this further next Sunday. But it does bring us to a place of remembrance as to how all of this was even made possible. How was it possible for, for, for God Almighty to actually come and live in and indwell us? It was made possible by Jesus. His death, his burial, and his resurrection made it possible for the power of God to come, for the promise of the Father to be fulfilled, and for the church to be born into the power for life, the power for witness, the power for the work of God.